Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux. And today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster in the Dynasty Guru for episode 235 of the show. Keaton, it's been like at least two solid months until uh since the last time uh we've been on this show together how are you man man i'd be doing better if we had a lot more uh interesting things to talk about uh been kind of a downer but i am just happy to be on a podcast with you again and talking about anything yeah thanks man it's it's definitely um it's been weird because the rhythm of my life has been uh you know, centered somewhat around this podcast and other podcasts that we do together. So um, Keaton and I are used to talking a lot more uh, than yeah. we have been talking lately. Uh, so this is kind of kind of good for us to reconnect as well and, and to uh, remind you guys that, you know, Boston still has a baseball team, regardless of what uh, Rob Manfred is trying to accomplish here. Um so I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad we're here to chat about this, but let's get right into it. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the lockout first and foremost. Um, after we talk about the lockout, you know, we're going to dive into a whole bunch of stuff having to do with that, but we're also going to talk about what the Red Sox need to do with their roster if and when the lockout does end, and then we're going to get to some listener questions. Uh, we had a decent amount of those, so... Uh, we're we're happy that you, the people, did not forget about us while we were on hiatus. 
Um, let's get right into it, Keaton. The lockout is still going on, and as you are listening to this podcast on a Monday, uh, this is the self-imposed deadline by MLB where it says it's going to start canceling regular season games. We are at the part where uh, everybody was kind of uh, hoping that this wouldn't get to. You know, canceled spring training is one thing, but once you start canceling regular season games, uh, that's a big deal. So, um, Keaton, what's been your impression so far of what's been going on in these negotiations? Um, a mess. Um, seems like one side has been trying to get a deal done while the other side has just been uh, playing the PR game. Uh, it seems like a weird, weird turn of events. If we kind of go back to the beginning of all this happening when Major League Baseball uh, locked out the players saying that they felt they had to in order to create a sense of urgency to get a deal done and then didn't speak to the Players Association for six weeks. Didn't seem like a great way to start, and it really hasn't gotten better from there. So it's been frustrating to watch. I mean, at least they've been, uh, if we're looking for silver linings, at least they've been meeting every day for the past, um, what was it, day six today, or day seven today? Um, yeah, seven, uh, day, day seven today, yeah. Yeah, day seven in a row. They're at least trying to get things done. But then again, uh, every time you know we get the details from Drellick or Passin about what happened, it's like Major League Baseball moved one million dollars on the 2024 cbt threshold like that specifically designing their counter proposals to be insulting to the players to not get anything done but how how different is this negotiation right from like trying to get us figure out a season in 2020 the owners were like we're losing money like crazy we need to play as many games as possible uh we need to shove this in and the players were like we want to play a lot of games too but we just want to be healthy and the major league baseball was just trying to shove uh, as many games through as quickly as possible and kind of maximizing what they can do and now uh they don't seem phased at all losing games kind of weird how all that has changed in this this negotiation um the prospect of them losing games uh doesn't seem to phase them whatsoever uh, and is kind of seems like it's been their goal. <clears throat> seems like it's been their goal the entire time, and trying to force players into losing games. So it's uh, it's been quite frustrating. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, it's it seems like it is the stated goal of MLB, the unspoken stated goal of um, especially the small market and mid market owners that um, Manfred seems to be, you know, kowtowing to in this process uh, to, to go ahead and break the players union um, completely shatter all hope of, of them gaining any traction in future negotiations. And we all know that the, the players union has done very poorly on its last couple of negotiations. But if you look at the, the trends historically, this has been the strongest players union in, in all of sports. And they've been very successful in, in getting Major League Baseball to where they are now. Um, but it does seem like the Players Union has been doing a really good job of staying unified throughout all this. And I think you nailed it, Keaton, with the the long, um, prolonged uh, time period with, with no negotiations. I mean, that was just clearly designed to, to get them to this point. I think missing games or having the players accept 
the exact deal they wanted them to accept were the only two options that they were looking at starting all the way back at the beginning of this thing. And, um, you know, what kind of blows my mind is um, how insulting these offers have been to the players, too. The players have actually tried to negotiate and make concessions and, you know, work here. And it just seems like they're just being greeted with, uh, I think maybe it was Drellick who said a giant middle finger. I, I can't remember if it was it was Drellick or Rosenthal, but both of them have been excellently reporting uh, this and Rosenthal in particular had a fantastic uh, article just eviscerating Rob Manfred today. I don't know if you got a chance to to see that because I know you've been traveling, but um, yeah, I mean it, the the owners look really freaking bad here. Um, if you dig into it, yeah, I saw a couple excerpts of that. I haven't had a chance to read it in full yet, but I, I definitely want to get to that today. Yeah, that's so. The biggest piece of leverage that the owners have, right, is missing games because they stated, uh, even coming into this week, that the deadline was the deadline. If they don't have anything done on Monday, they're going to start canceling games and they're not going to uh, compensate players for the games that they miss. They basically said the quiet part out loud. It's like, we want the players to miss games and we're not going to pay them for the games that they miss. So they're going to try and basically starve the players out. How many games can they go without getting a paycheck before they give in to the owner's demands? That was their play this entire time. They had no intention of actually making a deal in the offseason because they, up until the point of the threat of missed games, they didn't have any leverage. Now they do because they can cancel these games and take cash away from the players uh, as incentive to try and get a deal done as quickly as possible and still salvage something of a season. So now it's going to come down to basically, as you pointed out, so far the players union has been incredibly unified. So it's basically going to be how long can they stay uh, this unified with um, the players missing games and not getting the paychecks that, you know, they have relied on for a while. So, it seems like um, it's only going to get uglier in the next, you know, month or so, which uh, <laughs> doesn't help anybody. <laughs> it's not it's not a win 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 for anybody. It's just it's going to continue to get ugly. It's going to continue to be gross, uh, and it's just going to turn more people away from a game um, that has been kind of struggling as it is uh, to gain the younger population's attention. And this is not the way to do that. So. <laughs> Yeah, it just really seems like um, Manfred's one goal has been to either just kill the game itself or kill the players' association, and he might get both. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's classic siege tactics here. Uh, at this point, now the the city is surrounded, and uh, we are just sort of sort of waiting to see uh, how the players react during starving time. And um, yeah, you know it. It's not it's not a good look for the game, as you said, and I, I think that this strategy that we outlined that MLB is clearly following here seems to me to be penny wise but pound foolish in the long term because Major League Baseball, once it starts missing games, all of a sudden loses any sort of benefit of the doubt from the casual fan, and we all know how people reacted to Major League Baseball after the lockout and uh, the strike in 1994 and, you know, the missed games and, you know, Expos. You could say that franchise never recovered from that. Um, 
you know, they're going to lose fans. And I, I fail to see how that is better long term for the game in their eyes to lose fans, which is future revenue. So like, yeah, maybe you squeeze the players out of a couple hundred million dollars now. But I mean, what are you losing long term as you, you know, slowly break down the foundations of the integrity of this game, whatever integrity is left uh, in in the fans and how they experience this product? That's a great question. I don't know. Um, you know, I saw there was um, some people on Twitter that were asking, like, what happens if, you know, they actually do lose a season or um, – and there was, you know, a lot of people, and I feel – unfortunately feel the same way myself. Even if they lose a season, uh, when baseball comes back, I'm going to be right back in it with the same enthusiasm as I have because it's just – that's how I feel about baseball. But you're right. You're it, – it's shocking that as much effort as Manfred – like all of the, the pace of play crap that we've heard for like the past five years – and just those like minimal tweaks to shorten a game, like 13 minutes, all of that's been aimed at the casual fan, right? Because like actual, like the the diehards or the people who've been, um, you know, are in, really invested in baseball aren't going to give a crap about if a game is 13, 15 minutes shorter. But maybe the casual fan will be. And so all of those, like the pitch clock and uh, all the things that they've been trying at the minor league level has all been aimed at trying to shorten the game for the casual fan. And then you just pointed out, casual fans aren't going to care. or will probably come back if they lose a season. So it's like all of the work that Manfred has claimed he's been doing to try and win over that section of the fan base or um, even grow it is completely lost. Yeah, it, it is. And, and I think that there are just so many other options for the average baseball fan or the casual baseball fan, as you put it, to uh, gravitate towards during these times. You know, there's there's all of the uh, the streaming options out there that are just teeming with interesting things to watch. Um, there's also, you know, Major League Soccer just got its season started. Uh, the The Revolution just played their first game. Um, and the average soccer fan, uh, age is in their mid thirties. They're basically exactly my age, um, of that league. Whereas the average baseball fans 57. Um, so this is just not something that they can really afford to do given their demographic issues. Um, and like you said, Keaton, I'm going to be right there back no matter what shape the game is in. Um, but I do think these things matter, you know, like is three true outcomes baseball that takes four hours to play the best version of this product. And I think unequivocally for me, I can say, no, I want more balls in play. I want to see athletic outfielders make amazing grabs and I want to see, you know, more singles. And I want to see all of these different things that allow baseball to showcase the athletes um, that are on the field. Um, and I think that Major League Baseball and the Players Union as well, I'm, I'm going to include them in this because this is one of the things that they are sort of doing wrong here as well, uh, is they're not addressing these major problems with the product. Yeah. I'm, 
I think that's a pretty fair critique there. Um, but it's an interesting. So the the in the most recent um, counter proposal, I, I actually I may be wrong because there's it's like back and forth every day. So I don't know if now if it was the most recent one or not. But and one of the ones this week, Major League Baseball wanted to shorten the implementation period of like uh, rules changes from a full season to 45 days yeah and the players balked at that yeah how do you feel about that i don't so i i don't i don't think that the league should shy away from rule changes like i the the nfl for instance uh most successful league in the country by a country mile um does not you know think any rule that they have is sacrosanct or, or can't be changed or or whatever i think that baseball is far too concerned with that stuff and i think that good commissioners make changes to the game with the times and those changes are good changes if they don't affect the viewing experience for the people who are already fans but they do attract more fans to the game and i think things like pitch clock and maybe banning the shift or you know, other things that they've been thinking about are all common sense solutions and the players shouldn't be standing in the way of those things either. That's that's the one area where I'm kind of like lost with why the players are so concerned about this. Uh, banning the shift, I think, is a little much. I mean, maybe that's a topic for like a larger thing, but like if in the middle of the season, Major League Baseball banned the shift, I think that would dramatically affect like on the game. I think the 45 days, I think I like, you're right, pitch clock, if they implemented that like in the middle of the season, I don't think that would really affect it. But like banning the shift, I think that would, that's kind of a massive change. Right. If you build your team in the off season, knowing that you're going to be utilizing the shift you're clearly building your team differently yeah. uh, than you would if you knew you weren't going to be able to. And I agree with you, but I think also that goes back to the commissioner. Like the commissioner needs to know what things he can and cannot do. But the bottom line is, do we trust the commissioner to make good unilateral decisions for the health of baseball? And I think all of the players unequivocally do not trust that he has the best interest of baseball. And I think you put it well. He's sort of doing everything in his power to try and destroy this game. Yeah, I think maybe I'd have more faith if uh, you know we have all that reporting that he was basically just willy-nilly sending juice balls to games that he wanted to be more uh, entertaining, right? Like the Red Sox and the Yankees games got juice balls so we could see the ball flying around the park. Um, and like Kansas City, Seattle saw a bunch of dead balls. Because he was like, who cares? <laughs> like, having like that, uh, I mean, he didn't even need the power of the 45-day rule change to basically uh, be affecting the results on the field or be like affect the power of the uh, product that you're viewing on the field at that point. Uh, and how was he determining, you know, who was getting what ball uh, so to shorten that that particular one, yeah, I mean you're right. You'd have to have faith that <laughs> those were going to be done uh, 
basically in like an understandable way. And I don't, I mean, I'm not even in the league and I don't think that would be the case. I'd be pretty terrified of that. Yeah, I would be too. Um, yeah, it's not a good situation. It just really isn't. There's no, no, no way around this. It's, it's ugly. This is the negotiation that we've been most fearing for, for many years and kind of anticipating a work stoppage and, you know, worst case scenario is kind of coming up. So let's uh, end the discussion in the lockout with these two questions. Um, are you okay? Well, first question here. Are you okay with games being missed if it means the players do get the deal that they want to get? Yeah. Me too. I'm always going to be pro pro labor. Uh, in basically any situation. And I think one of the things that the most casual of baseball fans who haven't been tuning into uh, the demographics of, of baseball uh, over the last few years has maybe missed is that, you know, the Francisco Lindors and the Max Scherzers and some of these faces that we see when we see the players union (coughs) negotiating, um, are not indicative of the type of salaries that the majority of players are making. It's like 78% of the players who who started games for major league teams were making close to, if not the minimum uh, salary. Uh, And that has gone uh, very, very heavily in that direction over the last like 15 to 20 years. So the game is getting increasingly younger and more reliant on guys making the MLB minimum. And the MLB minimum has fallen behind all of the other four major leagues, despite the fact that they play 162 games, sometimes plus playoffs. So, um, you know, it's tough. It's tough to have it both ways. Like, you know, it's, it's really hard to see those huge contracts and then feel bad for the players. But we have to realize that the median salary is not anywhere close to what those guys are making. Yep. Um, second question here, Keaton, what does this mean for the game long-term? Well, I think we've kind of hit on it, right? I mean, they're going to, with more and more games missed, the casual fans are going to drop off and it's going to take, something probably like the 98 home run chase, right? That hopefully then doesn't get, you know, several documentaries made about what a sham it was um, at the time, right? Or what a sham people believe now it was at the time kind of thing. But like something to grip the attention of the casual fan for an extended period of time, like like some kind of record chase like that. Uh, or some form of really like exciting young players, like um, like an MVP race. Like I don't know, it, like another Shohei Otani in the American League, and you know they're racing for MVP kind of deal. I don't know, man. We just had a Shohei Otani, and uh, the average sports fan just didn't really seem to care at all that that just happened. So. I'm a little bit less uh, optimistic here. I kind of think that if um, if this go ahead, this you know goes ahead and happens, 
you're going to keep the fans that are like me and you and the people listening to this podcast, but there's going to be a shitload of other fans that decide to do other things and just never go back. Um, yep. So, not great. Um, but maybe the solution is two Shohei Otanis. <laughs> like cloning him? Sure. Okay, I can get behind uh, an <laughs> army of clones of Shohei if, uh, Otani playing baseball. If uh, the Rays actually let Brandon McKay play first this year. Of course, he has to be healthy for that to happen. Still on the McKay train. I gotta love that uh, <laughs> I sure am. Keaton <laughs> sticks with his guys here. Um, ultimately, do you think that this lockout will end and we will have some version of a season this year? Or do you think that you know, whole season could be in jeopardy. Oh boy! Uh, I mean, right now I don't feel great about anything. <laughs> this is a tough time to ask that question, right? As the deadline looms and it looks grayer and grayer. Um, I mean, it seems like the players are willing to call the the owners bluff here and missing games and. I feel like there, there's got to be. I feel like maybe another sixty game season, something. I don't. I triple digits. I feel is off the table. Unfortunately, it feels like that. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same way. Um, I think we're gonna get like a sixty to eighty game season uh, with, you know, exciting playoffs. I'm only going to be okay with this if the players win the negotiations. Uh, if the players still get rolled and we miss games, I'm going to be so pissed, like incredibly angry at the game. Um, so let's, I don't know, fingers crossed that that does not happen. All right. <clears throat> let's move on here to talking about what the Red Sox need when they uh, start playing baseball again. They're allowed to, you know, make transactions and all that good stuff. Um you know, there's a few different areas where the Red Sox might need to address. They could go for another outfielder, uh, another starting pitcher. They definitely need some back-end bullpen help. Second base is still a question. Uh, Keaton, where do you want to start? What do you think is the biggest priority for this team as soon as they're allowed to do things again? Yeah, I feel like uh, it's, you know, <laughs> right back to Old Faithful here and, and back to the bullpen. Um, Matt Barnes fell apart. Uh, Garrett Whitlock looked great, but got overworked. Um, so you need to have someone there to be able to get him to the end of the season. Um, over the last 35 games, Garrett Richards led the team in saves. That's not a great way to finish. Um, I know there's surprisingly a lot still on the market there though. Um, if you look at the free agents, like Kenley Jansen is still available. Um, I believe there's you no know, quite a large amount of sentiment that Craig Kimbrell is going to get moved. If you'd like to do the Craig Kimbrell experience again, um, I would Trevor... not. I would not like that at all. Please, no. <laughs> I I don't need a lockout followed by my heart stopping every night that the game goes into the ninth <laughs> inning. Uh, the good news with Whitlock is he whatever um, you know he's shown success in whatever kind of high leverage role he should be your your closer right now. 
headed into the game or headed into whatever ends up being opening day game one of the season um if you ended up landing like a kenley jansen or a high higher profile reliever in a trade he could slide right into the eighth inning role but that doesn't limit you to the kind of guy that you're looking at um in free agency but trevor rosenthal is out there brad hands out there uh alex colomay Archie Bradley's got a little bit of closing experience there. You're um, naming this, all the guys I would have wanted in my bullpen in 2016. I mean, sure. I mean, Andrew <laughs> Miller also. There's another one. Bring him back. I mean, Trevor Rosenthal um, was pretty solid and was throwing you know pretty close to triple digits again um, back from his injuries. So that one is certainly one that's interesting. Um, yeah. There are a lot of back-end help. Uh, on the free agent market or, um, you know, I sent you um, Chris Cotillo for Mass Live put together uh, what his projection is for opening day, including trades, free agent signings. Uh, And he had a really interesting group of relievers. He actually had the Red Sox making a move for Josh Hader. That seems real unlikely, though, because uh, Josh Hader has two years of control left. along with being the best reliever in the game at the moment. Um, so that's going to take a haul. Um, and I don't think that makes a whole lot of sense for the Red Sox. I think given what's out there in the free agent market and other potential trade avenues, I think they can find another avenue there. Um, he also had them bringing back Colin McHugh, which I did think was interesting as well. But I just think there's... There's still so many questions. Like Garrett Whitlock again is the only one that I have a lot of faith in. Um, I was coming around on Matt Barnes. I had fully bought in again until he fell apart, and then I was like, "Oh yeah, right, Matt Barnes." <laughs> so yeah. um, they got to get Whitlock some help, uh, not only just in in the high leverage um, role, but they they need guys to be able to fill in the innings so that we can get to i'm assuming a full season uh you know get to the end of year and he's not overworked um for the first time in what feels like forever we have a bullpen that's not overworked and our guys are actually fresh for uh, a playoff run um but you know we've been saying this for like four years now so yeah uh, it just doesn't seem like maybe it's as high a priority uh, or they feel like they can find other ways of doing it uh darwin's and hernandez had some really strong runs last year, uh, and then also some runs where he was the worst reliever in the in the league. So I don't I just don't don't know where we are at with him. Um, if we feel like he's going to be a player at some point in this bullpen for an extended period of time or not, or if he's just going to be one of those guys that just rotates and you you know ride out the hot streak as long as you can. But then again, that just brings it right back to uh, I'm worried about the bullpen. So I'd like to see them. Um, put a lot of focus on that yeah yeah no, i i uh, also think the bullpen is the biggest area of concern i don't actually hate the idea of uh trading for a guy like josh Hader because he's just so unbelievably good and i think that uh by trading for a guy who who immediately comes in and is the the alpha dog in the ninth inning and who can go multiple innings if you need them to. We've seen Josh Hader do that about a million times. Um, you know, it allows you to use Tanner Houck and 
uh, and um, Garrett Whitlock in multi-inning situations kind of whenever you need to as a sort of multi-inning fireman, um, which I think could be incredibly dangerous um, for for the Red Sox uh, in a good way. You know, it's just such a such a great thing to have. And I, I would think that adding, you know, one of those guys and in, in a guy like uh, Andrew Chafin or Ryan Tapera or somebody like that, that could be really, really interesting um, and could could turn into a pretty big strength on the team. And I do think that they've acquired enough enough depth here in their system that they could make a move like that uh, for Hader without it really drastically affecting uh, the the club on the field for this year. Because if you look at their starting pitchers that they have, they're bringing back Eovaldi, Rich Hill, Nick Pavetta, Chris Sale, Michael Walker, and then at some point they'll get back James Paxton. Um, Tanner Houck. Tanner Houck. Yeah, Tanner Houck and, and Garrett Whitlock, though. What I'm saying is with guys on your team like Walker and Hill, it's more likely than not that you're going to be having to rely on uh, starting pitching innings from Garrett Whitlock and Tanner Houck at some point during the season um, with injuries and things like that. So I would I would much rather keep those guys as an option to be able to swing back and forth to the uh, starting rotation than rely on them for like, you know, the eighth and ninth inning. What do you think a trade for Hater looks like? Um, yeah, that's a it's a good question. I think that probably, or at least uh, who's the headliner? You don't have to give me the whole deal, but who's the headliner? Um, I would say somebody of the level of like um, Bobby Dalbeck or Brian Bayo. That sort of level, I don't think that. Hater uh, is going to require you to trade Casas or uh, York or or uh, or Mayer, but I think that you know the the tier right below that. Don't they already have uh, Rowdy Talese and Vogelbach? I don't think they'd want Dahlbach. <laughs> My lord! I don't know. We've seen them run out a uh, beer league softball lineup before. Well, hey, if the have uh, it work so. If the DH happens, you could have them at both corners in DH, and that's a lot of beef. It's a ton of beef. You'd, I, I feel like you'd be very like excited to watch that team. I would love it. I would tune in for every <laughs> inning. <laughs> team Beefy Boys. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Um, yeah, I think something, something that level. Um, but I, I think that also the way that Heim would build a package – uh, would be a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. He might try and take back a bad contract that they might not want or also, you know, add a little bit of quantity to his side. So it's not just one guy. It's maybe a whole bunch of guys who are sort of in that mid-level. Um, you know, we don't know really what exactly a trade for a really good player would look like because – Ryan Bloom hasn't done it yet. So, yeah. you know, it's going to be interesting to see if that is a possibility. 
Um, let's move to the, the hitting side of things here. So second base, uh, definitely a little bit of a question here uh, for the Red Sox. You know, are they going to go with Kike? Are they going to put him in the outfield? I think he should be in the outfield. Are they going to trust Christian Arroyo to hold down second base? Uh, where do they go there, and, and what do they do with the outfield? Uh, do you think that they need to bring at least one more guy in from the outside to address that situation? I think they do. And I would like to see um, Schwaber back because it looks like Suzuki now um, the Red Sox are out, or at least the last update I saw it was all West Coast teams. Uh, Seattle, San Francisco, and Arizona were the three finalists, uh, which was a bummer because it looked like for like a nice two-week period, it was like a done deal to the Red Sox, and then not so much. But, you know, that's what happens when technically teams can still, you know, can't make it a done deal. <laughs> so yeah. that's, you know, frustrating to let that kind of hang there. So it looks like Suzuki's not going to go somewhere else, but... Yeah, I think I, I agree with you. It seems like they have enough options to kind of like piece something together at second base. Like it's probably going to be that um, Enrique Hernandez or Christian Arroyo kind of deal, which leads me to leave leads me to believe that they're looking to they would look to bring in somebody uh, else in at the outfield position. There's a few interesting names left out there um, if you're looking at the free agent pool of who's still out there. Like Chris Bryant's kind of interesting. Um, Obviously Kyle Schwarber. uh, There's some more potentially expensive options in Castellanos and Conforto. Um, But that's kind of it. And then just really drops off after that. There's not a whole lot out there for the outfield. Um, But there's also like nothing out there for second base. So the more, much more interesting names are there for the outfield. And uh, it seems like, there would be mutual interest in Schwarber. I mean, obviously, you know, we only had him for a couple months, but seemed like a pretty darn good fit. Came a fan favorite right away. Um, liked the team. Liked to hang around, and you can use him in a couple different other roles as well, uh, though perhaps not first base. Yeah, I think um, because of the uh, positional need here, I would actually be more comfortable with the Red Sox going out and spending money on Nick Castellanos or Chris Bryant over uh, bringing back Kyle Schwarber. Those would be my preference. Uh, And I think both of those players, you know, seem like good fits for, for Boston. Um, Definitely more athletic outfielders than, uh, than, than uh, Kyle Schwarber is. So, Sure. Not to say that they're gold glove caliber. They're certainly far from that. But I would like one of those guys over over Schwarber. But I think you kind of nailed it. I mean, maybe they don't go to this expensive free agent market because all three of the guys we named are not super good outfielders. So if that's a priority, you know, maybe they end up trading for somebody if it doesn't seem like Suzuki is going to be an option. Yeah, true. It's also it's interesting to note because we talked about what we thought Schwarber might get, and um, Spotrac has Schwarber's market value at thirteen million, and a projected three-year, thirty-nine million dollar deal. Um, I should have pulled up MLB trade rumors on what their their projections were, 
for him. But uh, if that's the kind of deal that Schwarber is looking at, like a three, thirteen uh, A A V, that's that looks pretty nice. That's a lot less than I expected him to be in the range for. Yeah. I wonder if that is taking into account the idea that we are almost certainly going to have universal DH. You know, like, is is his market really going to be that with his bat, with the ability to play him at DH in all of these other cities now? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I just got trade rumors pulled up they their projection is uh four years 70 so that's a little bit more that sounds a lot more like what i was thinking schwarber yeah. would get especially if there's universal dh so yeah 17 and a half 18 i think that's pretty much what we thought we were gonna see yeah, yeah. 13 13 is a bit low <laughs> yeah yeah 13 that would be a bargain sign him up <laughs> yeah bring him back sure we'll all be happy with that but uh, it, it sounds like both of us think that if they do anything, it's going to be in the outfield and in second base. They're just going to kind of rotate through. I, I I wouldn't be mad if they um, ended up doing um, actually what uh, Catillo said in his article, bringing in somebody like uh, what was it, Estrubal Cabrera, to kind yeah. of uh, fill in at multiple positions in the infield. I've always liked Cabrera's bat. He's a versatile guy. Um, you know, I, I don't want to trust second base to um, a guy who's never, ever played a full healthy season in Christian Arroyo. That seems crazy. But, you know, bringing in an older guy like Estrubel or Josh Harrison or something like that, I'd be all for it. Yeah, I think I'd be all right with that. He also has him bringing Iglesias back after that that nice little stint there over the last whatever that was a couple weeks three weeks of the year i love that uh yeah when we, when we were doing our our um 2022 projections way way back at the end of the season um i had him coming back to the red Sox as well jose iglesias because i thought he was just such a great fit um and in his bat is just better than better than we think it is all the time it's just seems to be the one thing that's constantly improving as he gets older like a fine wine that's right that's right all right um let's go ahead and move on to our listener questions here our first listener question comes from mick uh and he says what are you guys gonna do if there's no season what are you gonna do keaton well um Probably a lot of rewatching of shows and stuff. Uh, the new season of Peaky Blinders is supposed to come out relatively soon here for the last season. Um, so I might do a full rewatch of that. Time it up there. So um, it's also Celtics mm-hmm. making a nice little run for themselves. Um, so we can, you know, watch some of that that action. Um, I feel like there there are things to fill my days. Play a lot of FIFA. Watch yeah. a lot of Bayern Munich soccer games, though those are those tend to be in the middle of the day. <laughs> so, watch those while I'm at work. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm definitely gonna 
you know, finish through my Netflix queue, uh, catch up on my stack of things that I want to read. Um, I also just recently bought a bunch of video games on Steam, so I'm definitely going to play uh, a bunch of those games. Um, and I really want to get to an MLS game this year. Uh, I've never been to one, and I've I've been curious, so I would like to to make it to a New England Revolution game, uh, even if even if there is baseball. So I'm gonna try and pay attention to that, and I'm definitely gonna watch the playoffs and uh, basketball and and hockey as well because those are always great. Yeah. All right. Um, next question comes from. Emily bought and she says, what's the best thing to watch until MLB baseball is back? What's your number one, your cue right now? Uh, well, right now my girlfriend has not seen Mad Men. So we're going through that. We're on season two. Nice. Watching Mad Men. I've never seen that show. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's interesting. I, uh, I am currently, uh, have queued up the new season of Ozark, which I'm going to watch and um, the new Vikings Valhalla show that just dropped on Netflix on uh, Friday. So um, haven't seen either of those uh, shows, new episodes. So going to, going to check those out. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Red Sox now says, how do you feel about adding Carlos Correa or Trevor Story? And I think the idea there would be that, you know, Xander Bogarts or one of these guys moves over and fills that gap at second base. Um, are you a big fan of making either of those moves? Yeah, I like uh, both of them, uh, particularly Trevor Story. I like Trevor Story a lot. So do you think those guys, presumably, they will both get more than any of those three outfielders that we mentioned? So it's probably going to be a either-or situation. I can't see the team going out and adding a Correa and like a Nick Castellanos. I mean, yeah, Correa is going to be due for a boatload, like over $300 million. Yeah. Because um, he's only... 27, right? Yep. Uh, story's 29, uh, but he's still going to be due for a nice little chunk of change there. Yeah, uh, probably like 160, 150, something like that for him. Yeah. MLB Trade Rumors has him for 6, 126. That okay. Seems, that seems, I'd love that. That seems great. Yeah. <laughs> Do that. That's 21 million AAV. Do it. That sounds great. So that actually would be less than um, probably Chris Bryant, actually. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, decisions, decisions. Um, I really want Bogarts back, and I feel like if they go out and sign Correa, That's that curtains. is – Yeah, I don't – It's Oof. It's going to be tough for them to then bring back Bogey. Um, it shouldn't be. Well, it depends. Like, is Bogey cool with being a second baseman now? You know? Um, he said that he was. 
if he is heading into this offseason, he said that he was he didn't care what position he was playing. If they make that, of course, that is that eminently clear. I'm okay with it. Yeah, okay. That's also usually what good you know teammates say, right? Publicly, who knows how he's feeling privately? But I tend to when Xander Bogart says something, I tend to believe it. Yeah, I mean, if if you could add Correa to this team, just in a bubble, Correa at short and Bogey at second is amazing. Um, yeah. That would be by far and away my favorite of these moves. And I would I would rather see the Red Sox get the better player in Correa um, than save save some change with uh, Story. So if I had my choice, it'd be Carlos Correa. Interesting, because you're usually about uh, longevity and health, and Correa has not been the picture of that. It's true. Um, but when Correa is on the field, his bat, and his defense are both elite. And um, we've seen how he shows up in the playoffs, too. And that definitely matters to me. True. And he has a relationship with Cora. With that mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, our next question comes from Zach BLM. And he says, uh, "You could hand, if you could hand select a new division for the Red Sox, what four other teams would you want in that division? It's an interesting question. That is an interesting question. Um, Got to keep the Yankees there. Got to. Um, and, you know, I think at this point, I think you got to keep Tampa there. It's been like 20 years. I think they're, they qualify. Uh-huh. Um, Toronto and Baltimore I don't feel real strongly about, so you can replace them relatively easily. Um, who do I think would be some goodens here? You know, the White Sox, I feel like, and maybe this is just, uh, from my own perspective, but I hated those, like those, uh, mid two thousands White Sox teams and playing Przinsky and Pitsednik and Nick Swisher and those idiots. I hated those teams. Yeah. And although now I really like them because they're full of really awesome, young, talented players. Um, so that kind of come 180 on that organization. <laughs> but I think uh, I think that would that would be a fun team to play a lot of baseball games against. I think there's enough history there. I would keep the division exactly how it is. Really? You wouldn't do anything differently? Nope. I I really wouldn't. I I thought about like, eh, do I want to replace the Blue Jays with somebody else? But the Blue Jays are a really exciting team and I like to watch them. Um, you know, the Orioles, as hapless as they are, like I love Camden um, and I love the ability to go to Red Sox games at Camden, um, you know, every year if I wanted to. Um I don't know. I I love the AL East. I think it's just about perfect. I would also so yeah. So I do the Yankees, Tampa, the White Sox, and I'd add the Braves just for like the the historical Boston thing. Yeah, Braves is an interesting one. If you um if you booted the Orioles and added the Braves, 
that would definitely make for a cooler division. But uh, man, do you really want to add another team of that caliber to the division every year? I don't know if I do. Man. I mean, those five teams I just listed were all playoff teams, so that's not great. That's not like in no. terms of like for. I mean, I would have fun watching all those games, but like where I the Red Sox might finish last in that division. Yeah, I mean, if you're that's looking not for- a great division I just built. If you're looking for a competitive advantage, like you're loading this division up with the Mets because uh, their owners are morons uh, traditionally. And, the Rockies, the yeah, Rangers, the Pirates, the Pirates like, and th- the Orioles. Yeah, just throw in some like boneheaded teams and just see what happens. Um, yeah, I mean, that pretty much guarantee you a playoff spot every year, but it also guarantee you that they don't spend any money on the team. So I'd rather uh, I'd rather fight against the big dogs every year and, and have a good team. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, uh, our, our final question comes from our fellow uh, OTM writer here, Brian Joyner, and he says, how stupid is Brian for saying he was optimistic, referring to the lockout? You know Pretty what? Stupid. I – I highly doubt Brian Joyner was optimistic about anything. If you've ever met Brian, <laughs> he is not an optimistic guy. So, you know what, Brian? I'm calling your bluff on this. I don't think you were optimistic at all. Yeah, that's probably the right answer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that has been our show. Uh, Keaton, thank you so much for taking some time to uh, join me in the middle of this this lockout, we hope that you know we get baseball soon, and we hope that it's a good, fair deal for the players. And uh, yeah, stay safe out there, everybody. Binge your Netflix. Uh, maybe branch out, explore some new options, watch some soccer, do some other things, go birding. I don't know. Thanks for joining us, and we'll be with you again at some time in the future. <laughs>